The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his views in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battle's for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world. Hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. From the Speed Sport Podcast Studios, powered by My Race Pass, here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. You know, oftentimes, Mike, the children and grandchildren of auto racing legends are compared to those who came before them and this father-son combination is no exception bob pierce was inducted into the national dirt late model hall of fame in 2003 after years of domination around the bull rings of illinois launching his career over 40 years ago bob won numerous marquee races at several different tracks around the country these days bob has been the crew chief on every dirt track ride for bobby that bobby has ever driven now at the age of 26 bobby has some pretty amazing career highlights. He's known in the dirt racing world as the smooth operator. He's a five-time Dirt Car National Champion, five-time Dirt Car Summer Nationals Champion, 248 career feature wins, 47 career Dirt Car Summer National wins. That is third of all time at the age of 26. Say hi to Bob and Bobby Pierce. And gentlemen, say hi to Mike Wallace. Welcome to the show. How's it going? 
Hey, Mike. How's there, it going? Thanks, Jeff. There, there, there's a smooth operator, Bobby. Hey, man. How you doing? Hey. <laughs> well, guys. That's I, about it. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's, that's all we get, Thanks right? for joining us. Good, good night, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> nice show, guys. But, uh, hey, hey, I'm going to start with Bob. And uh, everybody, for everyone to listen, the reason I'm starting with Bob, number one, he, him and I used to race against each other on occasions. He was right. always way faster than me everywhere he went, but uh, <laughs> I can at least say I, I raced against a Hall of Famer. And, uh, Bob, you, you know, the part of this whole show in the dirt, dirt racing world and most of the whole racing industry knows the name Pierce, Bob Pierce, Bobby Pierce. But we, what we look for is what is the background? Where did you come from? How did you become who you were? So, Bob, if you'll tell us, we'll start. Where did you where did you even start racing at? Where did you think about it? What's your earliest remembrance of motorsports? Well, gosh, Mike, you want to go way back when I was a kid? That's where most stuff starts. That's where uh, we want to go, all the way back. Yeah, way back, way back. Uh, so my my uncle raced. It was my mom's brother. So that's where the number thirty two came from. And uh, you know, he did all the Illinois tracks naturally. You know, the Macon's, uh, the old Springfield uh, track there uptown's gone now. Uh, Champaign County Fair, of course, our, our local track out here in Danville is a Tuesday night racetrack back when I was a kid. And uh, it was, you know, right before sprint car stuff. So it was what they call the rails back then. And he did drive a few sprint cars late in his career, but he, he quit when I was like 9, 10 years old. So it kind of went away. And, um, you know, I told you this, I did a little band thing. I was a drummer for quite a while. And then at 17, the race bug bit me again. And all the junkers around here turned into Camaros and Chevelles with big blocks and big tires and headers and like, wow, this is pretty cool. And there you go. You know, I'm a young body man, just started, had a little bit of money, not much. And I started racing and, uh, you know, you got to build your own stuff back then, kind of like your dad did. And, um, I did all the old cars, you know, up until, uh, what we call store bought and cars, which pretty much Rayburn, CJ Rayburn started that. And, then uh, here we go, you know, from 80 on, and it took till about 1990 before I got a, a good enough ride to go full-time racing, so I quit my job, and here we are. You know, it slowly turned into some car building. Uh, I had my daughter in 93 and Bobby in 96, and uh, when I quit in 04, it's kind of like, well, now what do we do? I'm, I'm building cars, and I'm wearing myself out going to tracks helping guys, but it just isn't that same thing as racing you know and i got bobby interested in quarter midges at eight years old and i mean i guess we almost say the rest is history you know uh quick story on that you know the if some people know much about quarter midges they have the grands and it's asphalt or dirt grands back you know and even down with quarter midgets and uh it was eight years to the day that bobby won the dirt grands he won the World 100 eight years later, <laughs> if that's a, what a an, crazy deal. What an incredible <laughs> deal that is. I mean, that's uh, yeah. the Dirt Grands. The World 100, Jeff, as you know, is one of the biggest dirt races. I mean, it's the world. That's right, isn't it, yeah. Bob? How, Bobby, how they referred to it. It's just the dirt world. It's the world. Yeah. And, uh, it's it's the, world. the world, yeah. It's, it's definitely yeah. probably our most prestigious race, even though it's not the best-paying race anymore nowadays. It's uh, – prestige it holds in history you know it's just yeah it's you got to win one of them for sure sorry yeah. dad yeah yeah go ahead and rub it, it in it. rub it in bobby yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well hey you know what hey he, he's won a lot of races that i've won but i've never won the world now one in north south and he, he won that the same year he won the world 
but I never have won the world. I was there, I was there, I was there, but never could win it. So I'm sitting here right now in the room, I'm talking to you. I'm looking right on the shelf, and there's a World 100 trophy they'll never take away from us. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go, guys. It's such an incredible story. And, Bobby, we're gonna, we've never formatted this way, so we're going to jump back and forth between you guys. So, Bobby, w- w- let's just – Dad brought us up basically to, you know – I call it current day, but let's go back to that eight years before you won the world when you first started racing quarter midgets. Were you were you like most young kids? Dad was racing and you hung out at the racetrack, or were you doing other things? Give us a little bit of your early day background. Yeah, so, well, right when I was born, I don't know exactly how many days after. I'm sure I was at a racetrack, but, uh, um, <clears throat> you know, my dad quit racing when I was about, oh, like six five or six really around that time like he quit racing uh a lot or full time i guess and then he had dabbled in some modified stuff after that and uh you know i remember watching you know really a, a lot in the when i was in the stands at five years old i mean heck back at that time too i don't know like i guess the fans are still rowdy today but all i remember is not being able to see anything <laughs> people standing up and shouting and yelling at me i was like i don't know really was going on but i love watching race cars and uh you know i love watching my dad race it kind of made me nervous actually i remember back when i was a really little kid i would get nervous when he raced why, and, why uh, do you think you got nervous i don't know i think i just wanted him to be okay you know and um i don't know just i, I think also like the fact i couldn't see the races most of the time like my mom <laughs> he was busy like in the stands yelling and screaming for him to you know cheering him on and uh, I'm just sitting there, like, looking up at her, like, what's she doing? <laughs> so, so let me but ask no, you they- something, Bobby, because I grew up with a father that raced. His name was Russ Wallace. He raced at Lake Hill Speedway, Tri-City Speedway, and that back in the day. And my dad won a lot of races, like your dad did. And a, a lot of people disliked my dad because he won a lot. Did you hear people cheering or booing for your dad or both? Oh, uh, I think it was everyone loved him, it seemed like. Um he doesn't he, it seems like he never had a whole lot of the uh the the booze that i get a lot of times so i don't know how'd you swing <laughs> that bob <laughs> well i i can explain that pretty easy mike you want to hear it okay yeah i do so, want to hear it I, I i drank with the fans a lot bobby don't drink <laughs> <laughs> well there you go right jeff I, I, what better way to make friends and influence people you know what i'm saying Just, Get them drunk and they like you. I don't know. <laughs> I do. You know, I agree with that. But after the race, you know, um, you know, he could get out of the car. I remember this as a little kid, and he would just he'd be dripping in sweat, right, or something. And uh, but it looked like he had went through a battle. But you know, there's always a smile on his face when he got out of the car, whether he was whether even he was even saying something about the car. I wasn't doing this, doing that. Um, obviously, it's kind of a faint memory. I was so young, but. Um, yeah, the first thing, you know, there, I just remember a big crowd of people swarming around the car. It seems like no matter where we were, um, and yeah, there, there was a Michelob or whatever in his hand and everyone was welcome to the pit area and yeah, it was a good time. We well, can you... take that to the good folks at Michelob, see if they want to sponsor the show now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There we they, got go. free, they got a free plug. Well, well I was going right. <laughs> to bring up our, all of our uh, Midwest friend, Kenny Schrader. Ken, well, Kenny Schrader's got this incredibly huge fan following, especially at the racetracks. And he, he does the Bob Pierce story then. 
Schrader says, I may not have won the race, but I didn't lose the drinking contest. (laughs) (laughs) He'll literally stay to the last person, you know, and they they love him because of it. So, yeah. So Uh, I got good. So why don't you I've got too many stories. Yeah. No, tell <laughs> us a story about you know. Well, well I was gonna say, I, me, me and Kenny had a couple beers. I'll say that. We had a couple. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Well, we definitely <laughs> hope so. So, Bob, and, and again, I'm, I'm having a little challenge in my own ability. So, Jeff, you got to kick in because I don't know how to do this interview and stuff real good. But so we're we're jumping around with, with guests here. But, Bob, back in what do you think – in your era, when you were winning all those races, what was the key to your success? I mean, we're just, I knew you, you know, uh, Jeff looked at me when you said drummer because he's a big music guy, he's a huge, you know, run a radio station down here in Charlotte for 40 years. I mean, just. We could get oh, off uh, on that tangent anytime. A you totally want. You different deal. You want to talk but, about music, but, yeah. Yeah, well, get, <laughs> but I mean, I think yeah. it's cool because you, you, you turned and looked at me when he said drummer, and I thought, well, wow, that's cool. <laughs> but. Uh, yeah. Were you working? I guess you ran so good in what I call the late model cars, not the earlier cars. But were you working on your own stuff? Did you just have? Yeah. Did you have people there helping you, or is it primarily all you then? No, that that was it. It was all me. And um, I guess I guess that's the thing, you know. And when Bobby is definitely growing into that right now of uh, knowing what the car needs, he can tell me more when he gets out and, you know, and all the, all the stuff we change, you know, like whether it's a right rear load number or a bar change, or he just, he, he explains a lot of stuff. He knows what to do or I had to do it all myself. I got out, I had to change that shock. I had to adjust that spring. I changed the stagger. I changed the gear half the time, but I mean, uh, it just, I, you know, back then there was hardly anybody that wanted to help a young kid, let alone, go with you and help uh it was kind of your on your own thing and so yeah i, I was into spindle changes and i you know I, I messed with roll steer at a young age and i knew what bump steer was at you know, like 19 20 years old already so i was a chassis guy i guess for say driver uh because there was nobody around to help uh, this this wasn't that way back back in the 70s and 80s you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. so uh, I, I i think that helped a lot and and that's what I told Bobby, you know, a while back, I said, you're, you're going to have to know all your car to keep this career going. You know, the, the, the suitcase driver, so to speak, is really not around that much anymore. Uh, it's they're there, but the ones that succeed and go on and on work on their own stuff and they know their stuff. So, you know, he's in a garage a lot right now working on his stuff. It is always metal. And, uh, you know, like I said, he, he gets out of the car now and, uh, well, I know. I think I think me and you might talked about it, Mike. The the, the scaling's kind of gone. Scaling these race cars is gone. They got you know spring load machines in the trailer now, and we change loads on corners. And he'll come and ask me what load we got in the right rear, for instance, and I'll tell him, "Oh, we need more. We need less." And it, it's all starting to come together right now already. You know, so uh, that's that's why I think's got us going these last couple years as good as we've gotten going. Cause our communication is a lot, lot better. Instead of me just doing it and shoving him on the racetrack, he's telling me what he's 
he always told me what he felt, but now he's telling me what we need to do along with what we do. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's really helped a lot. Yeah, well, that sounds like a, a story my older brother, Rusty, would always tell me. You know, he was a really good – he was a Bob Pierce. He was a chassis guy. He's a chassis guy. Yeah, yeah. he was. Yes, and, uh, I, I know that. He always told me I didn't know enough about my race car. And I says, well, I, I don't disagree with you. I just don't know how to learn it as well as you did. He goes, you got to yeah. focus on that race car. Damn, anybody can drive these things, he says. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and all he can go off yeah. on us, you know, and like – even yeah. when we advanced to to running some cup cars, I'd complain about uh, the car not handling well, handling well. And he says, "Fix the damn thing." I says, "Or I'd complain somehow." And he goes, "Who's the last person that drove that car in practice?" I says, "I was." He says, "It's your fault then that it ain't running good." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Well, you're not making me feel any better." So, uh, <laughs> how, how did you get so? Rich is telling me we need to take a break right now. Okay. We're up to break one coming at you right now. We're talking to father-son combination Bob and Bobby Pierce out of the Dirt Track world. And you're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. We're talking to father son racing combination Bob and Bobby Pierce. And once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, guys, great conversation so far. Bob, we were talking about chassis wise, and I was telling you, you know, you were like, my brother rusty you got to get into them cars but how did you get into the cars how did you learn about all those things that, and bobby no dish on you but you're like me i didn't know any of that stuff how'd you figure it out well like i said when you just start driving things you're just manhandling them you're young stupid and just get on the gas and try to go around a corner and get back to the other side and don't really know why or how how the car's doing it uh but you know, like I said, I was I was not a motor guy. I I, I mean, I can set valves, I can mess with a carburetor, some, but I'm not a motor guy. I've always been interested in the suspension. So I I guess turning the wheel, feeling the car roll this way and roll that way, this I started thinking about. It. Okay, well that spring's doing this, that spring's doing that, and once I learned the car is is cross corner, like right front to left rear, left front to right rear, and the way it bounces back and forth, I go okay. This spring does that. This spring does this. I need to feel this. And it just started obsessing me. I, I just had to keep working on things and changing stuff. And then, you know, like I said, I got lifted in A-frame lengths and rolling suspension up and seeing what it did. And then, of course, you know, you remember we're starting in leaf springs. And now we got all these four bars and bird cages and shit going all over the place, you know. So it, it just it was a measuring thing and, and a lot of looking way before even putting an angle finder or anything. I didn't care what angle nothing was. I just wanted to see what made it work. And it just kept growing, you know, and growing. I don't know. I I, I didn't read chassis books. I wasn't that guy. Uh, I guess it was just driver feel, and I started figuring it out. I I, I guess it's kind of almost, almost a, a talent I didn't know I had. I don't really know. I just It just ate me up where I couldn't sleep, and I still don't sleep. I think about these damn things all the time. But um, I don't know. I, I guess I was – blessed I, I'm, I'm i'm glad i was one that could do that and i you know and nowadays it's getting so technical it's like you know you being down there in the cup mike that's you guys are so far advanced from us we're super hillbillies up here you know but it's getting there with us we've been on pull down rigs you know and and uh, we're some guys are getting in wind tunnels we haven't but i mean it's just really getting high tech uh, what's going on in our racing sport right now Jeff, so he's BSing you when he says they're hillbillies up there. <laughs> those, those are the most those are the most complex cars in the world because 
I can't explain what they all do at one time, and I'll go to Bobby on this. Bobby, so when you started, and I'm going to go back, then I'm going to get you to answer that question there. When you started racing, you know, back in the quarter midget days, were you the kid that just the opposite from your dad? Did you just drive, get out of the thing, and walk away and let dad take care of it, or did you try to learn something back in the day? Oh, for sure. I was, a, I was a normal kid for the most part. Um, let me touch real quick on, you know, like, yeah, how complex these cars are. You know, everyone might think, Oh, how many springs, how many shocks does it have on that thing? No, it's got six, not four. So yeah, <laughs> like you said, nothing right. going on, but, uh, no, yeah. When I was a little kid and then racing quarter midgets, um, you know, you're just a kid. You don't think of the future much per se. If you're going to be a race car driver, you just go out there and race and, uh, have fun with your buddies and goof around. But I mean, when I was getting in the car, even at a young age, obviously I was focused, you know, like when I put my helmet on, I was dead focused on winning that race and I'm a sore loser. I'll admit that. So I want to win all the time. And, you know, I hate losing more than I like winning. I feel like, and um, I guess it's a good thing to have because, you know, if, if you get beat down, you're going to come back harder the next race. But um, my dad being there for me uh, with, since I started, you know, I would not be anywhere close to where I'm at nowadays without him. And I mean, I really, I don't even know what I would be doing because he definitely helped get me into racing. Obviously I was a huge racing fan, just watching him race as I grew up and watching other people race that we helped out, whether it was a modified driver or late model driver, um, whatever it may be. But, you know, just, uh, as I developed and got older and, uh, especially when I, you know, start racing super late models. Obviously that was a big wake up call into a lot of stuff. And before I knew it, I was getting in a little bit in a NASCAR. Um, and then, you know, it's just, as you progress and get older, it, it just consumes you a lot more. And now I own the business and, uh, you know, I mean, I own all my stuff for the most part. And, uh, so yeah, you know, I gotta be good and you gotta know all the ins and outs and heck i'm only 20 so i just turned 26 so i'm still really young and i'll be the first to admit there's a lot of stuff i don't know so um you know we'll just keep learning and going at it but if it wasn't for my dad you know I, like i said i don't know what i'd be doing well bobby i'm Thanks, I, i'm gonna sh i'm gonna share <laughs> this is for bobby i'm gonna share a, a a letter that my daughter chrissy gave us my daughter was going to be a race car driver at one time in life, and so I want you to make sure you do this for your dad, okay? When she started, she, her note to her mom and I says, Hey, Mom, Dad, I don't know hardly anything, but I'm going to make it someday, and when I do, I'm going to take care of you. So, oh. <laughs> Bobby, you make sure you take care of Dad. As thing. <laughs> but, but that's it. It's still laying in our top data. Hey, you're you're going to still hold her to that, right? Well, she, she, she may not be a race car she's driver. She's not a race car driver, but hopefully she's going to get rich and take care of you, right? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. a pretty cool promise. Yeah. I like it. It was cool, though. She, yeah. she was a little kid. I mean, she was 10 years old or something and wrote that note to us. And I thought, oh, my God, check this out. She's got confidence. Though. But, uh, Bobby... You were talking about the dirt late models, but and we knew about your midget world or quarter midget. What did you drive from a quarter midget? Then what did you get into? I mean, yeah, you, you so did, okay. I drove a quarter midget. Um, actually, I think the first time I hopped in, I might have been seven in the backyard. Uh, my dad pushed me around the backyard when my mom and sister were gone on a shopping trip or something. And, uh, when they got back, I know they pulled in the driveway and I was making laps in the backyard and my mom was like, what the heck's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> after that, um, we went to Terre Haute 
Speedway, a little quarter midget track, and I raced quarter midgets for about two and a half years. Uh, then when I was 10, or sorry, when I was 11, I drove a kid mod, which was actually a class my dad created. It was a full-size dirt modified, but it had a four-cylinder engine in it and a couple of different things to make them cheaper. But um, that was just a class for kids. Really, it was meant for like uh, about the 10 to 18 age range. But we had a lot of kids in that first year. I think the most we had was about 12 at a, at a race at one time. Yeah. And yeah. that turned into carnage, as you can imagine. A lot of super <laughs> young kids in a full-size car. But um we were really good in that. My dad noticed, I think, right away. Um, I had a pretty good hang of things and had good control of the car. And uh, right away, he got me into a great late model at 12. And I was like, are you sure? Like, am I ready for this? And he's like, oh, yeah, you're ready for sure. So come on, you're 12. <laughs> yeah. He was like, he was like three and a half foot tall, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, if you go watch my very first ever crate late model wins on YouTube at Farmer City. I've seen two, 2012. I, I don't know the video, but yeah, I hopped out of the car in Victor Lane and I can't even, I'm not even as tall as the top of the door. <laughs> and then, we knew so, we were crazy. We saw that. Yeah, I, I'm <laughs> thinking 2012. That's just 10 years ago. That's not that long ago. Well, wow. I'm still short. All right. Yeah. But, but, um, no, so I raced that when I was, uh, or sorry, that wasn't, that was 2009. Sorry. 2009. I was 12 years old. Yeah. There you go. Nine. Yeah. Yes. And then when I was 13, just the next year, he uh, put me in a super late model and a crate late model at the same time. So I'd race both. And then I've been racing the super late model since. But, man, there was nothing like that first feeling when I got on the gas of a super late model. It was it was a big, big jump from the crate. And, uh, yeah, I just never looked back. Well, you've you've done an incredible job. Tell tell us how did where did the smooth operator come from? I've uh, ever since I've heard your name that that uh, nickname and believe believe me anybody that has a nickname most people are really good so that's a huge what? compliment to you <laughs> yeah really good or just uh I don't know but um you know my dad was the tall cool one uh oh, really the, dad you're yeah. the tall, tall cool, cool one? one that's now that's a yeah. cool that's a cool nickname I like that one. <laughs> the tall cool one sure. yeah he'll have, have to tell you about that one but um so the, <laughs> We're going to get it, too, out of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but then, so I became the short, cool one is that, uh, you know, when I was – heck, I think we made that nickname when I was racing quarter midget. So um, <laughs> when I got into super late models, I was like, you know, I just – I don't really like this name. Like, can we get something else? And then before I knew it, actually, um, Rick Eshelman had um, named me the smooth operator. I don't remember when and where it was, but uh, – I know he told my mom about it and then he told me about it and we're like, yeah, that fits. I suppose at the time I was really smooth running the bottom and I kind of progressed and now I run the top a lot more and I'm beating the spoiler off the car, but whatever it takes to win. But, uh, at the time I was very smooth on the bottom. I was, I was a big catfisher and that's all I did was just run the bottom. So at the time it was very, very fitting. Now there, there is a song called smooth operator. And it's yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of a jazzy it's kind of a jazzy song. It's by an artist named uh, Charday. Charday, he's a yeah. smooth yeah. operator. Yeah, here we know it. That's the theme song for Bob when yeah. he's drinking and in listen, the pit area. And listen, there is one called "Tall Cool" one as well, is which really? is by Robert Plant, who was the lead vocalist for Led Zeppelin for many years. Tall Cool. Oh, wow. oh yeah. yeah, I forgot about that one. That's right. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. welcome, gentlemen. You're welcome. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> See, we got your music all covered. So, so yeah. I need to hear about the tall, cool one as we're interjecting. How'd that come about, Bob? Oh, well, I'm sure you, you heard of the old Pinsboro Speedway in West Virginia. Was there uh, one where they had the dirt? Yep. Yeah, well, the dirt track originated at. And, um, you know, yeah, typical, they line all the cars on the front stretch, and we're all standing in the infield, and they start announcing drivers' names, yada, yada, yada. And this, this announcer from West Virginia, I, I can see his face, can't remember his name. And I'm just walking to the car, and he says, we like to call him the tall, cool one. I kind of look up the announcer's thing like, okay, that's, that'll hell work, I reckon, and got in the car. And I, it stuck, but I didn't want it on the car. I didn't really want it. And some T-shirt guy come up and says, hey, we got to put this on a T-shirt. You'll sell a 1,000 of them. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Well, he was right, and it stuck. So here we are. <laughs> hey, listen, if you make money yeah. off of it, it's okay. It's got to be okay. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Bob, yours, yours was actually at Farmer City, the World Outlaw Race, when Rick gave you that name. Oh, was it? That's when it was, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, and he used to do that. But now you saw what happened to him. He gets up top, and he's crazy. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, I, I've only uh, seen him race a couple times in the last – year or two and he's banging the boards or what do they call that ripping the fence now in dart racing and that what ripping it is ripping the lip banging the boards yeah. ripping the, the lip yeah. that's the high line ripping the lip banging the board yeah 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 gotcha. hey mike let, we got we, we got a backup you said that i i ran, outran you you know the springfield mile i didn't even see your back bumper so don't talk about me beating you yeah. you checked out <laughs> you know thank you you're making me feel really good because uh <laughs> well you know that uh we had our day right we all had our oh day. yeah yeah but uh I enjoyed dirt racing. It was so much fun. I, uh, gosh, I had so much fun doing that. I, I went back, and Bobby, I want you to elaborate in today's world. But Jeff, remember when I told you I went back to Moberly, Missouri this year? I ran a yeah. super late model up there, right? And how out of control I was every lap. Bobby, I want you to explain <laughs> to the fans, and then Bob, I want your last time you remember being in dirt. Bobby, when you get in a race car right now today, a super late model. I mean, you just won the dome in St. Louis, which is a huge race. But say you're going somewhere with some good banking where you can get up there and rip the lip. What's those cars feel like? Because they, they look all crazy. The left rear's up. The nose is down. I mean, they're just – give give, it, give it, the fan a lap or two. It's pretty wild. So, I mean, really you're hustling these cars around the whole racetrack. Um, very rarely do we get to relax going down a straightaway if it's maybe long enough. But um, – you know, even our biggest of racetracks, half miles still compare nothing to uh, what, you know, you, you might have raced on plenty of times in NASCAR stuff. But, um, man, they're pretty wild. You know, you the, the left rear, like you said, hikes all up. And I remember um, when I started dabbling in some asphalt things and I got back into the late model, just, uh, you know, just I didn't dabble in asphalt a whole lot, just a few races. But I hopped back in the late model my next race and. I stepped on the gas and that left rear got up and I was like, Whoa, like I wasn't used to it again. So I, had, <laughs> um, you don't realize, I think some of the things that these cars do, uh, like that, you know, it's just second nature to me cause I've done it for so long, but you, know, you go in these corners and there's a lot of, you know, G forces and just you're bouncing through holes and you got to make sure you're hitting your mark, not jumping the cushion or this and that. And I mean, people see these cars and return, right. So it's like we're power sliding through the corners, but, it's what they're meant to do, you know? So it's, it's controlled chaos, I suppose. And, uh, it, it's wild. It's a lot of fun. And, you know, I think it's definitely gotta be one of the funnest cars you can drive. And, um, you know, there's so many variables to it also. And 
you're getting hit with dirt in the face and and when you're in, in a big pack too it can be it's crazy and uh yeah you just have to you know there there are two seaters out there so okay. you can get a it looks like controlled chaos to me. Controlled Quite chaos. Frankly, Let's take does. a break. We'll come back. We're talking to the smooth operator and the tall, cool one. <laughs> Bob and Bobby Pierce, you're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. We're learning about dirt track racing from some of the best. Bob and Bobby Pierce are here once again. Here's Mike Wallace. Well, I'm going to go back to the tall, cool one. Okay. Right on. Right on. Bobby was uh, explaining how those cars drive, but Bob, because they are so hectic and violent looking, and you're the chassis guy, I'm not taking nothing away from Bobby, but you see those cars all hiked up in the left rear way forward. Tell the fans, I mean, how much does the rear end move in those cars? I mean, it's just, you know, the car's sitting down, it's in the wheel well, it's going through the corner, and it looks like it's up under the driver's butt, you know? So uh, mm-hmm. t- explain it a little bit to us. Well, yeah, they'll they'll move uh, left left side will roll forward anywhere from three to five inches, depending on where you have your bar set for angle. Uh, and right rear, it's it's always back. It's going back two two and a half inches back. Uh, you remember we're like I say we got four bars and they're all facing forward, so there's a lot of roll steer in these things. You know, not like the old truck arm deal you have you guys have down there in, in Cup Series. They're just flat, straight. You know, nothing really moves, and you guys call it skew. Uh, you can move the rear end forward or backward a little bit. Um, I say static, like when it's on the ground before it gets up in the air and slow some of that down for traction. You can increase it if you want to loosen the car up. Uh, but what makes that happen is the left rear spring and shock is behind the rear end, not in front of the axle tube. So that reaction is what picks the back of that car up and does all that violent looking stuff. And, uh, if the left, I put it this way: If the left rear and the right front suspension isn't happy, they don't get along. You have a bad night. Uh, those two corners are very important, and uh, it's all in the spring combinations. Doing that, uh, the load numbers we talked about, how much weight is on each spring, that affects that whole thing. And that's pretty much what I watch when the car's on the racetrack: how much it does move or doesn't move. What he comes in and tells me, he said, the right front's too high. I need the right front lower. I don't feel the left rear picking up enough, you know, and uh, that's that's his feel. Uh, and like I said earlier, it ain't, I ain't saying he can't do that, work on himself, uh, but right now he don't need to. You know, I need to work on that, let him keep watching the racetrack, see what the racetrack's doing, and that's part of the advantage I didn't have back in my day because while a race is going on, I should have been looking. I'm working on my car. So we're trying to keep that program going to keep him running better if, if we can, as long as we can, whether it be me doing it or one of his crew guys. Well, we're going to get to Bobby on talking about t- keeping an eye on the racetrack. But, Bob, I showed some pictures to Jeff at the start of the show from back when we were talking in Tri-City back in June of this year. We were in town mm-hmm. for the cup race, and you guys were out there. Ki- I mean, they killed them at Tri City. They just, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I was I was showing uh, when you're talking about comparison. I was showing Jeff the gloves that you have, your signaling device to Bobby, 
And it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, because we're all used to down in this area, everybody talks about having radios and communication and this and that. The dirt world doesn't allow that to happen. So no. would you mind explaining? I mean, I, we're looking at some cool pictures of it right now. I mean, with you at the, in the, the trailer and then up on the racetrack. But uh, what do you do to help Bobby off the racetrack? How do you help him determine a line or, or what you're doing? Uh, you're asking me? I'm asking Bob about your gloves, okay, yeah. your signaling uh, system and all yeah. that. Well, yeah, we, we have a system already. Like uh, you saw, the gloves are colored. One's colored one side, uh, you know, orange or, or yellow. And the sticks, when we get to use sticks versus the gloves, they're the same way. So he knows uh, what color means what, high or low. And then, of course, uh, you know, we, we lean them. Sometimes they're sideways. Sometimes they're half angle. Sometimes I crisscross them. And, and that's all signs give to him on what he needs to do on the racetrack. So uh, it, the main thing is, is give him enough, like tell him how much distance he has from the guy behind him to the front, whether he's running second or third or leading. So he knows if he's got time to do something else besides what I'm showing him, you know, he might make a move on his own as long as he's got enough time to do it and not lose a spot. So that's kind of up to him sometimes. So, so Bobby, I watched your dad give you all the guidance uh, back in the summer. And I, of course, I don't see a lot of your races, but I was intrigued because first of all, do you guys sit around during the week or at one time and sit down and, and put all the plans together, what all the stick and glove movements are like a football team? I mean, you know what the, what the signs mean or is well, it, You'd be surprised how many times, even how long we've done it, we got to go back to class on what <laughs> what uh, signal sticks might mean sometimes. But no, you know, we haven't touched much on how, uh, yeah, how much we, uh, man, how many times I say I'll be leading a race and I come in, I'm like, what were you doing? Like, you look like you're showing me there right on my on my butt, you know, and um he's like no i was giving you a huge lead i had my arms stretched way out and i was like i swear you weren't but <laughs> um no it's great to you know my dad's always done that for me and uh we have our own little things down like i was telling him don't give away my, our secrets you know and uh you know it helps out obviously the driver's not just driving the car based off of what he's showing but it gives you um, a good little bit of info on what might be going on behind you you know if a guy is catching you or or it really if Say if you're running in the back and the leader's checked out and he's doing a different line than everyone else is, and that might be the fast line at the time if he can see that and show you. But because we don't have radios, and thank God we don't have radios because that'd probably be too much. But uh, <laughs> you don't need somebody in your ear. Yeah. Dad, get out of my head. <laughs> he's right he's right i would be <laughs> hey i gotta tell you this 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 is that's so funny now i don't this shows all about you guys but i'm interjecting some of my history into things so my daughter chrissy runs the truck race at martinsville right and i'm spotting for her it's a live fox television broadcast and because i did some television broadcasting they had me mic'd up uh oh so <laughs> she, she said something and she got aggravated at me i says well, well, calm down, hon. I didn't mean to upset you. And Daryl Walter goes, I think I've heard everything from a spotter in my life, but I've never heard him called <laughs> hun down, before. Hun. <laughs> <laughs> so, just, you know, hey, uh, yeah, yeah, how, uh, how many times have I come in and um, whether it's one way or the other, you've been like, you don't even need these signal sticks. You weren't looking at me. You just throw them in the trash or maybe I come in and throw them in yeah. the trash. 
Oh, I've got fired quite a few times, Mike. I got, have quite you? a few times I got fired. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but I'm still here. I'm still here. You can't fire a family. I say, you, you, you can't fire a family. I don't care what they try to do. Here's a question for you guys. You talk about the gloves and the sticks and the hand signals and all that. Does that system, is that system pretty consistent with other teams and drivers, or do they do something different? Go ahead, Bobby. Uh, yeah, you know, everyone, uh, really the big teams, they use sticks. Uh I think the World of Outlaws, uh, I think that was the night you were there, Mike, at Tri-City. And I think that was World of Outlaw night. You can yeah, use yeah. Uh, gloves, but you can't use sticks. And sometimes they change it around. Like, I don't think they'll ever do it to where they allow nothing. Because then, you know, you take a chance that radio's coming in and they have to check for that. But uh, everyone does that. And it's hard to sometimes spot out my dad. Uh, in general, I mean, you're going so fast around a little racetrack sometimes, and there's not a great spot for him to stand. And then you throw in a lot of other guys with sticks, and if they're all standing in a pack together, it can be really hard to see. But um, that's why sometimes I make my dad wear a pink shirt, and he loves it. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> it. it I, I'm gonna tell you what, Bobby. I know you were in the race car and you won that night. I mean, it was incredible how good you you run all the time, but ran there, but. It's an artistry watching your dad operate. He, he is the tall, he's cool pretty one. smooth. Oh, yeah. I mean, I know we're smooth. <laughs> yeah. Because what Bobby's talking about, Jeff, you got a picture of this. It's just like a 3 8 mile racetrack. They're hauling ass around the place. Comes off a turn two. Bob's standing on a stepladder. Right. Well, we go down a little bit farther. Here's another person on a stepladder and another set of gloves and another this and that. And it's like... How the hell? But he's just—he's so fluent with his hand motion. I even went up to him after the race. And said, man, you got to explain that. That's where the pictures come from. Right. Yeah, that's pretty mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. It's a cool system. Yeah, man. but yeah, yeah, I would imagine it's hard to see. You'd be surprised the amount of people that come up to me and say they liked watching my dad more than watching me race. They like, him, <laughs> you know, they like seeing him with the sticks and what he does and his emotions and yeah. It, it's yeah. a Sometimes they're good to watch. It's, a, good to it's watch. a show in itself, if I may say. <laughs> well, he is a drummer, that's, that's so true. he'd be good with sticks, right? Oh, there, uh -huh. ah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that could be why I flop him around a lot too much. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. true. That's yeah. true. <laughs> so oh, we're, we're jumping all around. We're going to run out of time in this show if, if I don't ask you all these things. But so the smooth operator, the tall, cool one, the one thing I found out, Throughout this year, primarily from a bunch of different dirt racers and, and from yourselves, you guys have an incredible fan following. And, Bobby, if I'm hearing it from other competitors and other team owners, right, you're like one of the top souvenir guys in the dirt world. Am I saying that right or am I saying that wrong? Yep. You sell a lot of T-shirts, oh. a lot of swag, as they call it, in the industry. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, uh, yeah, I think me and – Scott Bloomquist, uh, Jimmy Owens there for a while, uh, and of course some other up and comers, and and some of your best ones. JD, obviously, he's a big seller. Um, I don't know how, I guess it, it got that big, but a lot of shout, you know, a big shout out to my mom, uh, oh, and my dad really. They they drive the motorhome with the t-shirt trailer attached to it to every race, and then whereas I'm in the the hauler with the cars, and uh, we meet up at the track and. My mom, you know, she's always doing a great job slinging shirts along with, heck, anyone else that's ever helped out. Uh, it's a it's a hassle, you know. <laughs> I, I went up to that T-shirt trailer, you know, normally every time I race, if I'm up there for 30 minutes or whatever, and sometimes it's, oof, it's just a constant 
you know. Yeah, Crazy. well, that's good, right? Because everybody's paying paying a little bit to to have a piece exactly. of your memorabilia. Shout out to the fans, you know. Of course, we can't do this without them. So yeah. So, what but do you think has made you along the way so popular in that world? I mean, that's it's really hard to be become a big draw when it comes to souvenir sales. What do you, what do you think you've done, or uh, have you just won races, and that's what's made you popular? Uh, I think it's a good mixture of winning races, stirring up a little drama, uh, coming out with some cool t-shirt designs, shout out to Arizona sports shirts, uh, you know, just a mixture of it all. And I think also I th a lot of fans appreciate like a young driver coming up. And then of course my dad, you know, a lot of my fans at an early age came from him, you know, if they wouldn't have known my dad they wouldn't have known me from adam and uh you know probably would have like kind of looked over me in a way and until i started winning races but you know right off the bat just so many people knew of me because of my dad so that helped also get me started and uh but i don't know just you know when you win i guess the world 100 at 19 and uh it opens a lot of eyes and so Bob did uh, winning the world 100 at 19 for Bobby. Did he become a little cocky, a little arrogant right away, or did he stay pretty cool? <laughs> no, he he ain't got any cocky to him at all. I mean, he's sometimes I don't know if he's my kid. Sometimes, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he, he's just. I know he doesn't drink, he, so I mean, we don't. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. He he's just so modest and and laid back. Uh, I don't know. I, that's that's what's cool about him, and so many people really like that. That he's just the same. Same as he was when he uh, won his first quarter midget race. I mean, right now you've got him talking more than he would normally talk. And he's done a really great job of that because he's such a quiet kid, always has been. But, uh, you know, I give him, I give him uh, insight one time getting ready to go to Eldora. And I, and I think about what it was. It the, yeah, it was a year after you ran second to World 100. And we're going into this year that he won the World 100. But he done won the North-South a month before this, see? And I said, dude, get ready. You're going to get smothered by so many autographs, so many pictures, so many people that come up and bug you. It's going to drive you crazy. I go, just, I want you to be prepared what's getting ready to happen because it's going to try to get your mind off this race. But I said, just be ready, be ready. So I think with me helping him about that, getting ready to go to that deal, and then go way back in quarter midgets. And I, I, wanted, I wanted to tell you this since I heard it's going to be on there because you got to know this. You know, you, you picture this, any go-kart, any quarter midget kids, and the announcer comes up and says, is there anybody you like to thank? And they always say, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, you know, whatever. I said, don't start with that. Don't say our name at all. You look at your car and thank every sponsor that's on that car, then thank mom and dad. And he literally grabbed the mic at a racetrack. Well, hey, might have been dirt grands, Bobby. <laughs> and he walked around his car and was announcing all the sponsors and people started <laughs> laughing for a second and then they stopped and they started clapping. So I've tried to teach him where this is going and in which it did, it went up going here and it just keeps him so laid back and modest. It's, it's, it's crazy. No, he's, he's not cocky. Well, I, I got to disagree with my dad on one thing. I, I feel like I'm not quiet. Maybe when I was younger, uh, I feel like I'm a good listener. My girlfriend would disagree with that, but. <laughs> and they always will. And that's yeah. the perfect time to take a break right there. We'll take a break. All right. <laughs> Dirt car legend okay. Bob and Bobby Pierce, you're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media.
Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. Just a couple of more laps with Bob and Bobby Pierce, the smooth operator and the tall, cool one. What's your nickname, Mike? Uh... The short, well, fat one. No. Uh, sh- <laughs> <laughs> Man, no love. Is there a song like that? There can I, be, yeah. I want a song. Since Bob and Bobby have a song after them, I, if you're going to nickname me, give me a short song. Short, fat one. You're short, fat Thanks. <laughs> We've got, uh, we'll we got to think that. about that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Look up in the archives of these he's songs. Got, <laughs> he got me choked up a little bit here. I'm trying to figure out what I was going to talk about. But, uh, Bobby, let, let's. we've been talking about, and Bob, we've been talking about the super late model world, so super late model dirt world and all the things that are going on. But I, I have to talk about, I remember the memorable time Bobby was at Eldora for the truck race and Mike Mittler's truck. And if I'm saying any of this wrong, you guys stop me because I just I rem- I think I remember very clear. So Jeff Mike Mittler is a guy that was out of St. Louis. He since passed away, got a business and all that, but he put Bobby Pierce in his truck. Mm-hmm. Now you gotta remember Bob Mike's trucks normally ran back in the middle of the field somewhere. They were just there. Put the smooth operator in that baby. Yeah. He goes up to the top, like five to go. He's running second. Going for the lead, Bobby. Tell us about that race and were my facts right up to that point? Oh yeah, you're right. You know, actually, so that was Mike Mittler's first ever pole. I I, I got the pole award. Nice. For that race, uh, quick time, and right then it was already a win for the week. Yeah, I mean that, that was a truck that's not supposed to do that stuff. You right. know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. I know you put it on dirt, so it might be a little different. Uh, doesn't take all the motor and some other things, but. You know, Mike given given us that opportunity to do that. Uh, it was awesome, and you know, we had a good feeling about it. Didn't know, and then yeah, there we are. And uh, in the feature, I'm battling with uh, Christopher Bell. You heard of that name? And, and, everybody uh, refers to him as C Bell down here now. Right, you know, Bell. yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, obviously, he came from uh, midgets and was a heck of a wheel on that. Still is when he does it. And, uh, so he knows how to get around dirt track too, and there I am battling with him. And uh, a lot of people, it's funny, you know, a lot of people never really heard of me. Uh, they're from the NASCAR world, but all the dirt people were like, "Yeah, see, right on." <laughs> and uh, no, you know, that was a crazy moment. Um, I ended up not winning the race; I got second. But uh, you know, that felt like a win for sure. You know, they were so excited and. Um, there was well, nothing like driving that big old truck around Eldora Speedway. It, it, it's not really meant for dirt, but we're all making it work out there, and it was fun. And yeah, what a what an experience. Well, Jeff, you know Eldora is where Bobby won the world at. Oh, is that so right? That's where they, yeah. So Tony Stewart owns a racetrack. They took the truck race there. So anybody that didn't know who Bobby Pierce was before the race, they knew, and the television world knew who he was after the race because he put on a driving clinic. Right. And, I mean, it, it was incredible. And uh, So what's some of the coolest uh, racetracks you like going to, Bobby, in the dirt world right now? Uh, my favorite tracks, uh, one of them for sure has to be uh, Peavey, Missouri, I-55 Federated Raceway. Uh, I've always liked that track shape of it. It's like a, it's like a miniature Eldora in a way with more banking. Uh, and there's so many. I, I know in my notes I've got all the tracks wrote down. I think I've been to like 150 dirt tracks or something. And um, there's so many. Like this year, uh, I 
I won at Knoxville for the first time. Uh, sometimes when you go to places that you actually, then you win at, it jumps up on your list. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, if you never went, if you haven't won somewhere, it might be low on your list. And then you go and win. Oh, yeah, I like that track. But, um, <laughs> well, well so I, many- I want to bring up a track that I've been to a few times and I grew up at. And it used to be a half mile many years ago. Then it got changed around. It's about a three-eighths mile. It's Tri-City Speedway in Granite City, Illinois. Definitely. And every time I've been over there, Jeff, guess who wins the race? <laughs> the smooth operator. Say that. Oper- sing that for me. He's a smooth operator. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so in Good why, job. Well, Thank why you. it means at the same time, and I want to compliment you and Bob or the family, uh, your performance of their strike means a lot to me. Kevin Gundick, Ke- Kevin and Tammy Gundaker, which have been lifelong friends. We, we've known each other for, you know, a lot, basically our life. And uh, they host a race. It's not every year, but they, they were nice enough to put a race in my father's honor, Russ Wallace. And they used to win. My dad used to win there all the time. And it's called the Russ Wallace Memorial. And I, I've had the pleasure, Bobby, of, and you you probably had a hectic victory lane and didn't realize who was standing there. But I enjoyed, I think, giving you a couple of those trophies over the years. So. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember. Yeah, okay. we definitely have a Yeah. Where do you keep your trophies at? Or, Bob, where do you keep the trophies at? You're probably in charge of those, aren't you? <sighs> Well, it, it started out here, naturally, because he was living here, but now he's got his own house. They're selective on which ones they take home, so we've got a whole lot of them here. The room I'm in is, uh, is actually our addition we put in about 20 years ago, and it's full of quarter midgets, uh, big trophies. Uh, and I walked into his room, his old room, and that's where uh, a lot of them are, and that's where I saw the two Russ Wallace trophies, like I said, your your picture in there is in there. <laughs> I see you. Well, He's pretty I... young, man. <laughs> uh, picture of your dad's car and all. It's pretty neat. But yeah, they're uh, they're scattered around everywhere. I mean, uh, we have two of the North South trophies side by side right here in this room, along with the World 100 up on the big shelf. But uh, and then a picture right next to that of me and Bobby holding the World 1 trophy, World 100 trophies up at Eldora on the stage. So uh, pretty cool. Pretty I bet cool. you. you, you... I like to keep the house a little decluttered of racing stuff, so that stuff kind of stays over there. <laughs> you, know, you know, Bobby, what's really funny about that, and uh, I didn't take a bunch of humor to it when it first happened. My wife and I built a new house, and I had all these trophies over the years, and like not a World 100 trophy, but some pretty big ones, some Daytona trophies or whatever. And uh, I said I was going to make this truck or this trophy room kind of upstairs. And she says, look, I've done with, dealt with this racing crap my whole life. I do not want to have to look at trophies every day. And mm-hmm. I, says, I says, well, you're missing how we're able to build this new house and what got us <laughs> to that point. <laughs> and uh, I have uh, – not too long ago, we, we interviewed Mario Andretti on our show. And Mario's whole house is a tribute to his racing career. And we talked off there, and he goes, how do you think I got – I can't do that Italian accent. But he goes, how do you think I paid for all this stuff? Oh, yeah, I want to look at what I've accomplished. So don't, don't, don't be scared to show some of that off at home. But, uh, boy, Bob – when, when I build a big shop, that's where all my trophies are going. All right. I get the chance to build a big old race shop. <laughs> Beautiful. So what is uh, 2023 hold for the Pierce family? Where are you guys uh, – where do you start racing at? And um, – We'll start from there. I mean, we've uh, again, we can keep talking and talking, but we're gonna 
run out here. So yeah. where, where's 2023 take us? For sure. So uh, our first race back in 2023 is going to be actually out in New Mexico at Vado Speedway. Uh, it's near Las Cruces, El Paso area. Uh, that'll be the Wild West shootout race about six nights. And then if that goes well, we might see us in Florida for some of the dirt car nationals, winter nationals. Um, and then, you know, throughout the year, uh, we'll have to see how some of that first stuff goes, whether we run this series or just bounce around like we always do go to all the big money races. Uh, last year I ran 98 races this year I ran 93 races. So we race a lot. We're on the road a lot. Uh, no matter if we're running a series or whatever it may be. So, uh, probably something similar and just try to knock off as many big wins as we can. I think we are up to 21 this year. So let's do that. And, uh, yeah, you'll be seeing us. Well, I'm, I'm going to repeat a stat I pulled off your webpage last night and I, you said 93. So Bob, this is a compliment to you and all the car prep, Bobby and everything that you do as the driver and the owner and all that of your team. 89 listen to this jeff 89 starts 21 wins 49 top fives and 66 top tens now that's the damn performance boys i'm gonna tell you that that's (laughs) and that's pretty much lining up and taking a top 10 every time you race yeah so uh and you got to throw in the uh the dnfs that the woulda coulda shouldas you know maybe we were winning and yeah, because I watched you somewhere. You were leading late in the year here, and the thing broke. Did it break a drive shaft or something? I forgot where you're at, up in Iowa or something. It was a, a flow racing race you were on. And it, it, Man, honestly, yeah. there were so many heartbreaks this year, just little things. Yeah. That, uh, I don't remember. So who do you blame <laughs> yeah, I, that, that on? The mechanic or uh, <laughs> that, would that be the, the, uh, the probably, tall, probably cool one's problem or what? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I'm hard on stuff. I'm hard. I'm hard on equipment. Okay. Yeah. Well, I will tell you this, Mike, real quick. He's got a maintenance program that's second to none, and I I like to say I beat that in his head. And when my daughter was working with us too, same way, but he went above and beyond he's got nice printed out sheets and it's all you know he checked marks off all this stuff and he kept track of every lap on every piece of that race car from wheel bearings to you know dry shaft motors but that night there i don't know we it shouldn't have happened i guess it's something we just didn't change dry shaft soon enough and it, and it broke a yoke on the front of the dry dry shaft three laps to go it just it happens but yeah we're we don't like the DNFs. We're uh, real stickler about finishing races, no matter when or not. We go on a fall out, but we do. You know, yeah. that's what it is. Well, guys, you know, it's it's been so much fun. What don't we know about you that we need to know? What's what's the the fans, as Jeff tells you, around the world that listen to us, right, Jeff? The whole it? world is listening. Yes. <laughs> so, what do you want them to know? Yeah. That's right. So, uh, well, <laughs> I guess new news. I mean, it's uh, I. Uh, people have heard about it and stuff. We actually have some Longhorn chassis in the shop now. Um, wow, that's a big news news story right uh, there. For sure. Yeah. And it's yeah. not like we've hit it or anything, but uh, just haven't really came out with it necessarily. I actually plan on wrapping the car maybe tonight and taking some pictures. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so we have some Longhorns, and uh, we're going to try that out. Uh, hopefully it goes well, have good intentions, and everyone there seems really good and excited to have us in the cars and um so bobby let me let me interrupt you there because that that to me is headline news that's a that's a headline story in the dirt world why you know dad's built your cars as far as i know for your career why why the switch Uh, is that my 
Is that your turn still? Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Explain it. Explain it. I'll tell you though. Huh? You know, just a few reasons really. Um, one being that, you know, I'm not going to be a uh, race car builder. I've seen my dad do it all through the years and all the headaches it's gave him. And I raced way too much to be focusing on building the cars to that extent. And, you know, just uh, everything about that. And there's so much knowledge to be learned about these cars and to have that, you know, just to get our foot in the door um, with a company that we feel like is kind of leading the, um, whole late model world right now they all the longhorns had a really good year obviously we had a really good year too you know we didn't have to make the switch but my dad's gonna be 71 in february and holy crap uh, you're that old bob <laughs> yeah <laughs> there it is. i was yeah. just gonna say I, I knew there had to be something in there about you know i'm, I'm getting tired of doing all this hard work i'd like to sleep more you know <laughs> <laughs> well i don't happen that ain't gonna happen but he could tell you the rest <laughs> well you know i'm sure my dad be the first to tell you he he uh he still feels like he gets around like a young guy and you know he does and while he can do that still, you know, with me, learn these cars and help me, you know, go around the racetrack as fast as I can while we, while we learn them and just go through everything like we have really with the Pierce cars through the years, you know, um, you can be in a fast car, but at the end of the day, you got to learn it. You got to learn what to do as the night progresses, what the car likes, what it doesn't like, and have someone like my dad with all that knowledge over the years that he's, you know, uh, just he's got in him to bounce ideas off each other's head. And, you know, like I said, he's been to every single race except for like maybe three races in my life. So, you know, he is the guy that's there all the time. And, uh, what makes, uh, he's kind of the backbone of all, a lot of it. And, um, like I said, while he's still able to do that, you know, um, we'll learn these things, get them going good. And obviously with the help of everyone Longhorn, but, you know, it's just, uh, my dad doesn't want to stop, building cars necessarily but uh, he's built he's building that. me a car this year i'm gonna drive for him just to let you guys know <laughs> <laughs> look out Bob, we're coming for you more headline news <laughs> no, yeah. more headline news. <laughs> but no he's got he's got modifies too that he builds so and where he'll go with that i don't know but um you know i think a big reason he's he's built cars especially late models this long is, is for me you know to help my career you know just see how far it can go and 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 all that so there's a few reasons, but um, in the day, you know, we're just uh, excited to get with them and, you know, share some knowledge and uh, see if we can go win some races. Well, that's exciting news. I mean, it really is. And I, I want to thank you guys for being on the show, Bob or Bobby, either one of you or both. You take a moment here because I mentioned in the show earlier, you're such a big souvenir guy. Where can the fans buy Bob Pierce or Bobby Pierce merchandise? For sure. You can go to bobbypierceracing.com, and I have a website store. Uh, a lot of stuff on there, or you can see us at the racetrack. Uh, heck, almost every single race we go to, uh, we'll have the T-shirt trailer there. My mom, like I said, she's slinging shirts. And say hi to her. We always have a lot of interesting stuff, and uh, you know we keep that thing stocked to the brim. So uh, check it out. You can see me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Give me a follow. 
There you go, guys. All we can say is thank you very much. It's been a great show. It's went too quick. Look forward to having you back on it some other time. Much success in 2023. There they go. Legends of the dirt world, Bob and Bobby Pierce. You've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. See you next week.